Well, good morning. Man, I'm glad you guys are here. For those of you who don't know, my name's Sean. I am uh, one of the pastors here, and that was Jason, our former worship pastor. So um, we're, glad that, we're glad that you guys are here this morning. Um, hey, we are working through the book of Matthew, so if you have a Bible, Matthew 25 is where we're going to be today. If you joined us last week, um, you were privileged to hear all that you could ever want to know about the end times. All the dates, all the details, all the exact things laid out perfectly and clearly for you so that you can know with confidence everything that's gonna happen in the end times. So you're welcome. Um, you, uh, but today, we're in Matthew 25. If you weren't here last week, I'm kidding, okay? Um, we're in Matthew 25, and, and what we need to know before we get into Matthew 25 and we read this parable that Jesus is going to share with us is that Matthew 24 and 25 are one speech. Uh, we call it the Olivet Discourse, and do, discourse is, is just a speech. It's called the Olivet Discourse because it occurred on the Mount of Olives, and so the parable that Jesus is going to give us today is in light of what he just told us when we were looking last week, which is all these, these painful and hard things that are going to come, this, this tribulation and, and, and chaos, and, and, and he even warns, he says, when all these things come, you, you just, just flee to the mountains, right? Just bad stuff. And he, here's the thing about Jesus in Matthew 24. He's not trying to tell us what's going to happen as if he's trying to impress us with his knowledge. That's not his objective. What his objective is, and he says it multiple times in different ways throughout Matthew 24, is to prepare us, to, to help us to have endurance, to, to um, help us to, one of the phrases he uses is to stand firm. Right? Scripture uses this phrase over and over again, to stand firm, and, and, and when you're exhausted, to continue to stand, to prepare your hearts for what's going to come. And in that light, Jesus gives us this parable. So if you have a Bible, Matthew 25, we gotta get right into it because um, today I have five points to my sermon. And just to give you perspective, I normally only have one. So here you go, you ready? <laughs> then the kingdom of heaven will be compared to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent, or a word we're going to come across in other passages is the word wise. It's, it's a synonym in the Greek, prudent or wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent or the wise took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But about midnight, there was a shout, behold! The bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. The, the foolish said to the prudent or to the wise, give, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, no, there, there will not be enough for us. And, and you too go instead to the dealers and, and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make purchases, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know. Be on alert then for you do not know the day nor the hour. So what's Jesus talking about? Well, here's the deal. 
Um, Jesus is warning us. In Matthew 24, he's, he's telling the disciples, and thereby he's telling us that there will always be hard times coming. Now, now whatever that looks like, whether it's the final return of Jesus and, and, and all that kind of stuff, there will always be hard seasons in our life. There will always be difficulties. There are always going to be tribulations and pain and discomfort. And Jesus wants us to be prepared for those things. But in Matthew 25, what he's warning us of is that there's a very real risk that the faith you foster now will not endure the darkness of midnight. That, 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 that for some of us, what Jesus is warning us, and scripture says over and over again, that for some of us, the faith that we have now is, is a convenient faith in an easy time. Uh, Jesus tells this parable. Remember the parable of the sower, you know, casting seed out? He, he says that there are some who will burst forward, will burst up, and, and, and faith will explode out of their lives. But then, what's he say? He says, but then the sun comes, and it beats down on them, and their roots are not deep, and they wither and fade. And the warning that we need to hear today, each one of us needs to hear, humbly listen and be honest with ourselves, is that there is a very real risk for us that when hardship comes, it will be exposed that our roots were not dug deeply. So, so what does it look like? So here's what I want to talk to you about today. What are some ways that we as individuals, we as a church collectively, can, can create um, what some call a resilient faith in us? What can we do today in this season to prepare ourselves, which is what Jesus is trying to do with the disciples? Remember, Jesus is constantly trying to prepare them for the hardship that's going to come. With Peter, right? He, he, he tells Peter, hey, you're going to die me. But, but, but know this, Peter. I've prayed for you. Right? He's trying to prepare Peter. He's not trying to beat him down. He's trying to prepare him. That Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples and thereby prepare us. So what does it look like? To have enough, the imagery Jesus uses, is to have enough oil in our lamps that we can endure even into the darkest hours of the night. So, so today, I, I just want to try to be real practical with you. I, I got five things for you, right? And we're just going to go right through those five things in the next 20 minutes that we have together. So, so here's number one. Here's number one. Uh, the, the first thing is prayer and fasting. If you want to have a resilient faith that endures in hardship, not just in the good times, not just when it's convenient and easy, you will have a life of faith that is shaped by prayer and fasting. First Thessalonians 5.17. I mean, how, how much simpler could Paul have gotten, right? It's two words. Pray continually. Pray continually. Some translation, a translation you might be familiar with might, might say this. Pray without ceasing. And now here's the thing. There are times and there are seasons and there are moments where we schedule times to devote ourselves to prayer. And that's good. Um, just, just this year, um, actually just at the end of last year, we started scheduling uh, almost monthly prayer gatherings where we invite you, I, I think the next one's in like a week and a half, um, we invite you to come and to gather corporately and to prepare your hearts and to pray together. That's good. And, and it's good for you to have some time set out each day in a quiet time where part of what you do in your quiet time is you pray, you, you share with God the, the things that are breaking your heart, and then you also listen. That's all good. But what Paul is telling us is that for those with resilient faith, our, there will be nothing in our life that is not bathed, drowning in prayers. 
That if we are going to be a people who endure into the darkest hours of our life, we are going to be people who learn in the best days of our life to pray continually. Now, I, I, I kind of cheated and paired these two together, but the reason I did is because most of the time in Scripture, these two are paired together. Most of the time when it's talking about fasting, it's talking about prayer and fasting, it's talking about a life marked with prayer and fasting. There's a story, um, we read it earlier in the book of Matthew. I want you to see um, all the way back in Matthew 4, if, if you have a Bible, you can turn there, but Matthew 4, it tells the story about fasting. And I want you to see something about fasting, because a lot of times we think of fasting from the perspective of deprivation, right? Um, uh, so, so here, listen to this, Matthew 4, verse 1, you ready? Here it goes. This first verse has some crazy stuff. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, there's a lot in that sentence I want to unpack. First is this. Jesus was led up. Um, in the Greek, it's the same word that is used elsewhere when it says, spur one another on. Uh, most often when we translate that verse, this is a very like compassionate way of translating that verse, that, that, that verb, right? Most of the time, the, the verb is translated as driven. It, it's what you do with cattle, right? And, and, and sometimes, like with sheep, sometimes like in the Psalms, it'll say, you know, like, oh, the Lord has led us to green pastures. Right? And sometimes it has that idea. But most of the time, if you think about images, I don't know how many times you guys have you know, driven cattle across the prairie lands, right? But, but when you do, it's, it's, it's boxing them in and forcing them to go a direction they may not want to go. Right? And that's what this verb is. That the Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness. And then look, look at what it says why he drove him out. Right? Look, look at... He drove him in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, I think a lot of times when we think of the temptation of Jesus, for most of us, we think that um, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness because the enemy saw a moment when Jesus was weakest and he tried kind of like sabotaging his ministry from the get-go. Right? That he saw Jesus and he's and he's famished and he's and he's lethargic and he's and he's hungry and he's tired and he's alone and he's been out there for 40 days. And, and the enemy was like, oh, this is the right moment to attack him. But that's not what the verse actually says. The verse actually says that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness for this moment. That Jesus' preparation for war with the enemy was fasting. He was not deprived in his faith and in his courage and his strength. He was strengthened in his fasting. He, 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 he in his obedience and, and, and in his dedication to prayer and fasting, it, it gave him greater strength and power to go to war with the enemy. If we are going to be people who are going to endure the hardship and sometimes the attack of the enemy on our lives, we need to be people who are marked by prayer and fasting. Number two is this, confession. Confession, this is a fun one. James 5, verse 16 says this, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. <laughs> Here's the thing. I think if all James said was, like, if it just, if, therefore, confess your sins, like, if it just stopped there, we'd be like, perfect, Right? Like, how easy is that? How easy? How many times have you said this prayer almost effortlessly? 
Jesus, I'm an idiot. I messed up again today. Welcome to my life. I'm a screw up. Right? That's an easy prayer to pray. But, but, but what does James command us to? He commands us to confess our sins to one another. Here's the thing. The only power the enemy has over you is shame and secrets. The only power that the enemy has in your life is the shame and the secrets that you hold on to. There's a saying, you probably heard it before, that you're only as sick as your secrets. That there is something um, incredibly powerful and, and, and bondage breaking in the moments when we can confess one to another, when we can take the things that are consumed in shame and that we hide in secret in the deepest parts of ourselves and we lay them out in front of someone else, bondage is broken and freedom comes to our lives. But if we are to be people who are going to endure hardship, endure darkness, to have enough oil in the lamp of our soul to endure, we will be people who learn what it is to confess to one another. Now, here's the thing, okay? Just so you know, that doesn't, that doesn't look like standing on a stage and confessing. In, in fact, that would probably be very unhealthy. Uh, it doesn't look like confessing on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat or Twitter. That, that's, that's what this looks like, what James envisions, what he's inviting us to, what has been celebrated and honored throughout the Christian faith is, is, is having a couple, a couple close believers that you can be honest with, that you can confess the trueness of who you are and all the brokenness. And when the Spirit confronts you, you can, you, can, you can speak those things out loud and then they can pray with you that God might heal what is broken inside of you. It looks like having a few people in your life that have permission to ask you anything. Let's be honest, as grown adults, we like to think that we're self-competent that we can do things ourselves, that we can handle our own stuff, but every single one of us is busted. In fact, scripture says that our hearts are wicked beyond our imagination. And so we need people that you give permission to ask you about anything, to ask you about how you're spending your time, to ask you about relationships, to ask you about how you spent your money on things, to ask you anything so that our shame and our secrets might be broken free, that we might live in freedom in Christ. Which brings us to the next one. If we are going to be people who are going to endure in darkness, it looks like people who are going to be marked by serving one another. Galatians 5, Paul writes this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. So some translations um, will, will say it also this way, just to help clarify. Do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Right? That's what Paul's talking about, indulging your flesh. To indulge your, your broken desires, your disordered desires, as some would say. Don't use your freedom for yourself, but instead, he says, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, this, this means if you, if you consume each other. If 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 relationships and people in the pursuit of your freedom and, and, and the pursuit of your sinful desires, if other people simply become a commodity for you to consume, that's what Paul's talking about here, right? When we prioritize our freedom over loving and serving others, everybody else and every relationship and everything in this world becomes a product for us to consume, to fuel our 
flesh, but instead we should serve one another humbly in love. I mean, this is, this is what Jesus did, right? It says that he, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Mark tells us that, that um, he, he did not, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. One of the great stories we're going to see in just a couple weeks is, is um, the night before he's crucified, they're, they're all celebrating the Passover meal together, they're taking the Passover meal together, and then you remember what Jesus does. He gets down and he washes the disciples' feet. Now, you've probably heard that this is an incredibly huge act of humility, and it is, but I, I, sometimes I, I don't know that we have a cultural equivalent. Because you see, here's the thing. In, in Jewish law, in the law that God gave his people, they were prohibited from requiring even a servant if they were Jewish, they were, they were prohibited from requiring even a slave who was Jewish to wash their feet. It, it was such a humbling and humiliating act that the only people that a Jewish person could require to wash their feet was someone who was of another nation. It, it, was, so, it, it was so, so humiliating that nobody, and Jesus, the Lord, the creator of all, the one who spoke all things into existence, he humbled himself and he knelt and he washed his disciples' feet and he tells them, just as I have done for you, so you do for one another. That if we are going to be people who endure in the darkness of the night, it is not going to be people who compile our reservoir of blessing and goodness and strength for ourselves, who stockpile uh, our lives so that we can endure in hardship. It's going to be people who live so generously that we live open-handed serving one another. Which brings us to the fourth one. If we are going to be people who endure into the dark seasons of your life, and, and here's the deal, just know this, if you haven't in, in experienced incredible darkness and pain and heartache in your life yet, it's coming for you. We all will. And in these moments, we have an opportunity to, to fill the oil of our lamps, to, to, to build a kind of faith that is resilient to endure. Matthew 6 says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You, you probably heard this, even if you didn't know that, the, that Jesus said this, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It, there's, there's an incredible um, thing that Jesus is claiming in this. Uh, Jesus claims that you have the ability to control the direction of your affection. That, that you have the ability to decide the things that you will love and be excited about. All you have to do is place the things that matter most to you there. It doesn't say where your heart is. In those places, you'll put your treasure. What he says is you have the ability to move your affections from one place to the other if you take the things that matter to you most and put them right there. Here's, here's an example another pastor um, uh, told me. He, he said this, um, by show of hands, show of hands, be bold enough. Um, how many of you um, have any interest, any care, I'm not gonna make fun of you, this is not a trick question, any interest, any care, know anything about the stock market? Anything. Like you've seen what the stock market price was and you went, oh, that's okay, okay, okay. How many of you, were, when you were nine years old, knew a stock market existed? No, you know why? Because you didn't have money in it. So you didn't care, it didn't matter, right? 
As soon as you put money into something, as soon as you start investing into something, all of a sudden, it matters. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You want to care about the things that God cares about? Put your treasure in the things that God cares about. <laughs> You'll care real quick. You'll care how that money's managed. You'll care about how it's accomplished. You, you, wanna, you, want, you want your heart to break for, for a foreign people group, for an unreached people group? You start spending money supporting missions that are working with uh, unreached people groups. Your heart will begin to break for them. You will care. You will know the stats about how many unreached people groups there are. You will know the stats about um, who's doing what and in what places. You will know the things where you put the things that matter most to you. It's the same thing with church here. You, you may not know this. I'm sure you've probably seen or experienced or felt a little bit of this, but um, in the last two years, there's just been this kind of tectonic shift in the church in America. Um, just like crazy shift. And Barna, um, they're kind of the leading research group around churches and Christians and, and trends in church culture and all those types of things. Um, David Kinnaman's the president of it. And, and he was, they've pointed out, they've, they've made this um, statistical observation that nationally the average church has declined in attendance, in in-person attendance by about 40%. And just so you know, if you join us online, we're glad you join us online. Um, the amount of people engaging online does not at all anywhere close compared to covering that gap, okay? So the average, and here's the crazy thing, that includes places like Texas and Alabama, right? That includes like the Bible, the buckle of the Bible belt, as Dallas, Texas was called, declined in 40% attendance. Um, David Kinnaman was having this interview, this conversation with some pastors, and they were asking the question, oh, just for your stats, so you know, on the East Coast and the West Coast, it's closer to 50 to 55% in in-person attendance and decline in the last two years. And they, they, were, they were asking this question, why after two years, and especially, now I know we live in Oregon, if you're watching online, I don't know where you are right now, but in Oregon, right, there's still a lot of restrictions on us, and there's still a lot of um, rules around COVID, but like, my in-laws live in Missouri, like, they had six weeks and they were out, right? Like, it's been a long time since they talked about COVID in Missouri, right? And they said, after two years, what, what happened to those people? Because he, here's, here's, here's what they know. Like, um, the decline means that people haven't just, like, moved churches. Like, that happens a lot. People come and go from different churches. They move locations. They, they you know, d different seasons of life happen. Those things happen all the time. But if every single church, on average, is down by 40%, like, where'd that 40% go? And, and uh, all they, could, they couldn't answer it, they, they, they did a study of 1,000 churches, and here's what they found. A little interesting factoid for you. They found across 1,000 churches, tens of thousands of households that were measured in this, in this information. They said almost to a person, the people who were giving consistently before COVID are still engaged. People who are not are gone. You know why? Because where your treasure is, your heart is. So here's the thing, for whatever giving and disciplined giving might be additionally, all the blessings that it might be, there is something that God does in our heart that builds in a resilience in us for the hard seasons of life. When we invest our money in a place, in a people, in a mission, it pours our heart and connects our heart to those people and that mission in a way that helps us to endure in the hardship and in the darkest hours of our life. 
You want to endure hardship? Put your treasure in the things that God cares about. Number five, worship and song. Ephesians 5 says this, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, right? The word Matthew uses is prudent, right? Right there. Speaking to one another with words of psalms, hymns, and sacred songs. Sing hymns and, and psalms to the Lord with praise in your heart. He, here's the thing. Um, Paul doesn't invite us to sing. He commands us to sing. Because here's what Paul knows about us, and here's what you know about you. We are a people built to sing. In the, in the most important moments, in the most life-giving moments, in the most heartbreaking moments, we are a people who sing. You may not think so. You may, well, you know, I don't have a good voice. You know, I, I don't have beat. Um, you know, I, someone told me once, not making this up, someone told me um, that when I sing, it sounds like a cat is dying. And they said it as if a brilliant observation. This is literally the conversation we're having. I was singing to the radio because that's what I do. That's why I play the radio is to sing to it. And I'm singing to the radio and this person goes, oh, that's what it is. A dying cat. And I went, what? Your voice, it sounds like a dying cat. Thanks. Appreciate that. Then I pushed him out the side door of my truck. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've been watching the Olympics, right? Someone wins gold, they stand up on that little podium, which by the way, I think we need to have a, a movement to make the podiums taller. Gold stands like this much taller than everybody else. I think if you win gold, you should be able to like four feet above everybody else. You should be looking down at people, ha ha, sucker, right, okay? And then what do you, you see them do? The, the, the Chinese soldiers have the three flags and they take them and they, and they whip them out and the flags start going up and the American national anthem begins to play. And probably half the time you watch those athletes, probably half the time tears begin to run down their face. Because we're a people built to sing. You, you, you ever been to a Portland Timbers game? Tens of thousands of shirtless men sing for two hours about nothing, about a ball, right? Why? Because God built us in a way that there's something in us that when we sing, some part of our soul breaks open in a way that can be accessed in no other way. We are people built to sing, and, and, and if, you, if you want to endure into the hard seasons of life, you will learn the practice of choosing to sing, whether you feel it or not. It's not just there. It says this. I love this one. Colossians 3.16. Christ's message in all its richness must live in your hearts. Right? So, so he's telling you, right? The, 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 the richness and the good news of who Jesus is needs to be like, like, like branded down onto your soul. Right? And he, he's going to tell us how to do that. This is what he's going to do. Colossians, he's going to tell the church to call us that. This is how you crush this truth on your soul in a way that you never forget, okay? He says this, step number one, option number one, teach and instruct one another with all wisdom, okay? That's kind of what we're doing here. There's other opportunities to do that. You may listen to podcasts. You may be in a small group, right? Um, teach and instruct one another with all wisdom. Uh, option number two, sing psalms, hymns, and sacred songs, 
Option number three, sing to God with thanksgiving in your heart. Here's what one commentator said. He said, whatever this passage means, it means no less than that singing is as, that singing is at least as important as teaching for Paul commands it twice and teaching only once. There is something, this, this is how we say it here. There is something mysteriously powerful when the people of God gather to sing. There's something that happens when, when the body gathers together. One of the things that I love about the idea of us all singing together is that scripture would, would inform us, would encourage us, that when we sing, we're not starting a new song of worship. We're joining in with angels and with all of creation singing together. And here's the really incredible thing that I, that I just love about the idea of singing and worshiping on a Sunday morning. Uh, not only are we joining with angels, not only are we joining with all of heaven and all of creation, we're joining with believers in all kinds kinds of languages all around the world in this very moment that are singing with us, celebrating and worshiping our God. Now, here's the thing. There are seasons. There are midnight seasons of our soul where we are just so broken and tired and weary and aching that it is almost impossible to even speak words, let alone sing them. And that's okay. But Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, he, he, he tells us this. He says that when we don't have words, the Spirit groans on our behalf, right? When, when we don't have words, we can gather together with the body. And maybe there are seasons of your life where you can't even open your mouth to utter words. There's just so much agony tearing up deep inside of you. The beauty about gathering together to sing, about people who worship and song together, is that in some mysteriously powerful way, in that moment, Scripture teaches that we are joined as one body, carried together in the throne room of God. And that, that, that just being in the presence of other saints singing is a way for them to minister to you and, to, and Scripture would say to carry our burdens one with another. There are some of us, sometimes we see words up on the screen and just because of our experiences or because where we're at right now in our life, we, we just, we don't like those words. We don't, we don't believe those words. And in singing, we have an opportunity to command to our soul to believe again. We have the opportunity, uh, an idea that Scripture would teach us, is to teach ourselves, command ourselves, preach again the gospel to ourselves, and to sing those words anyways, and to command our heart to believe and live out those words. And then there are really beautiful, awesome moments where we get the opportunity to gather as a body and sing and to celebrate and join with all of creation in those moments. Just know even in this room, wherever you're joining today, that as we, as we sing together, that we get to gather as one body and in a way we carry our burdens one with another and, and, and we enter into the throne room of God in a way that can only be experienced when the body gathers to sing together. Hard times will come. Maybe, maybe, maybe you'll live to see Jesus come back and you'll endure great tribulation and people being killed. And, and Jesus says in Matthew 24, he says when that, in that moment, he, he's commanding the people to like flee for the hills, right? Maybe, maybe you'll experience that. Or maybe you'll just experience crushingly devastating life because we live in a broken world. And in those moments, in those moments of darkness and the midnight of your soul, the question for each one of us, will we have poured enough oil into our lamps to endure? And these aren't the only ways. These are just five ways. 
But my challenge to you today is to pick one of them, one that you haven't done, one you haven't disciplined yourself to do before, and choose today, whether it's serving, whether it's prayer and fasting, whether it's generosity, whether it's uh, singing and songs together, or it's confessing one to another, that you choose one of those things. Because you see, um, your lamp might not overflow today, but a little drip every day in those darkest moments will build a reservoir that will strengthen your faith that you can endure in the most difficult seasons.